our stories with me, Neil Kagram. Today we're joined by James Kirtley. James, thank you very much for your time today. How are you keeping? Yeah, keeping well. We're safe and well. And um, yeah, no problem with my time because it is something that we've currently got uh, up with lots of. So um, no problem at all speaking to you. Yeah, it's crazy times. I know you said you're doing a bit of coaching at Sussex and you're on your pre-season tour. Um, we're on in limbo a bit, aren't we, at the moment? We are in limbo. And I think, you know, someone who's always had quite a lot of structure in their life, it's quite hard to, you know, sometimes you want to find your purpose. And, you know, homeschooling is has its challenges. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you have that structure. Um, you have that sort of purpose and focus, especially sort of ramping up to the season, which was... No, due to start, you know, our game against Durham was meant to be April the 12th. Um, so you sort of gear up for that and then that's sort of taken away from you. And But there's no start date in mind. So um, you just, as you say, we are in limbo. Yeah. Let's um, talk about how it all started for yourself. So born in Eastbourne, Sussex. Was cricket always your first sporting love? Not really. I was, I was active. I played everything. So whether it was if Wimbledon was on, playing tennis, test matches were on, playing cricket when football was on, it was football, rugby, you name it, it was all going on. So um, it, I was active um, and really cricket, I, I was quite a late developer, um, almost to to extent that I gave it up. I was nearly going to give it up when I was sort of 13 or 14. Um, was at school at Clifton in Bristol wasn't really featuring um, in the under-14 side, uh, sort of almost a specialist number nine batter, believe it or not, um, and phoned up Dad, who was a decent athlete, um, had done really well at university at Loughborough and at Manchester, um, and I said I wanted to do athletics, and he said, no, 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 you, you, you stick with cricket, I did the athletics, <clears throat> um, we'll go from there. And thankfully, over that winter, something clicked um, and suddenly bowling quicker than most people around me um, and progressed through school uh, and, you know, did reasonably well up until sort of under 18, under 19, but more school, bit of county level. Ted James, who was an old pro and an old friend of my, and my dad, um, had seen me play and gave Sussex a nudge, even though I was playing most of my school's cricket out in the West Country. Um, and Jim Andrew, my coach at Clifton, and Ted James, who uh, knew me well, um, who was at Eastbourne, um, put me through and pretty much started on the staff in 1995. Yeah, so you said that you didn't really have too much time with the academy. Um, that's different from a lot of um, kind of the traditional way a lot of players come through. Um, do you think that helped, hindered you, or just just what it was? It's what it was, but what it what it does do is um, it allows me to have a far greater perspective. Um, that I'm, you know, you don't have to be in the system from under fourteen or under thirteen or even crikey under eleven. You know, I came into the system under seventeen, a um, couple of years, and you know, was playing, say, second eleven cricket, or even. I played the first team friendly before I went back to do my A-level. So it can happen. I think it helped that I probably didn't over-bowl. Um, I wasn't over-coached. Um, so, you know, there's lots of benefits, uh, but it gives me a really good balance. And it's a nice story for 
and it's a real story it's a you know for guys in the sussex pathway if it's not quite happening for you at 10 11 12 13 it's not the end of the world um late developers um are great and you know people will all develop at their own time you don't have to fit you know fit inside the sort of pathway model as such and you said you kind of made your debut uh, in 1995 you then went i think the following winter the year after um to zimbabwe um and i think i might I hope I'm pronouncing the, the, the club correctly. Mashunaland? Mashunaland, yeah. So, uh, Andy um, Flannery. Interesting story because um, you actually played against England and skittled yeah. them out in this kind yeah. of horror tour that Mike Atherton uh, led. They drew the two match test series 0 0, lost the ODIs 3 0. Um, but yeah, talk us through that. So, Andy Flower had come yeah, so Andy Flower had come, and o- come over and played for my club eSport. Um, Richard Housel, who um, was, I think he was just managing and he wasn't captaining it, but he was very instrumental in getting Andy over. He spent some time in Zimbabwe himself. Um, Richard and I, uh, actually I was renting a room off, off him as well. So we'd had two or three years. So it was a more of a university of life than a university of any other kind. Um, but it really gave me a, a great foundation. So Andy came over to play for Eastbourne and I thought, crikey, you know, can I get over to Zimbabwe? England were touring. So when and played for his club, old Georgians, um, things went really well, ended up training with Andy and Grant and many of the Zimbabweans um, at the time and got an opportunity to play for the district to Monash- with Mashonaland. And yeah, um, had an incredible few days against England, which I don't think I was really forgiven for for about five years. Um, Seven wickets, wasn't it? It was, and it it was... You remember those moments, Pierre, because you're just having having fun. Um, There wasn't any pressure, and there was no pressure on a guy who'd only played, I think, a handful of first-class games. Yeah, how old Um, were you then? 96, 21 maybe 21 so um yeah no it was it was was great fun great memories a lot of friends a lot of people still see now obviously um but yeah uh, a a great sort of start that sort of um allowed me to sort of make my work way in in first class cricket really and do you think that kind of um helped you keep on the radar of the England selectors um, during that period just before your kind of debut? I think it, it probably gave me a little bit, you know, the name wouldn't have been so unfamiliar. Um, I think I'd played in a TCCB 11 against South Africa A as well and I'd done all right in that game as well. So things were, things were going well, but, you know, it was probably more on a, a more national scale that, you know, this guy from England was playing club cricket out in Zimbabwe and you know perhaps and maybe the the name got remembered but it what it did more than anything else was to to train with the likes of uh, the Flower Brothers you know Alistair Campbell um, you name it uh, and even with David Houghton you it just gave me as a young player how hard you had to work you know the way these guys trained they they obviously had huge ability um, but 
you know, the rest of the squad were going to work as hard as they could. Their fielding was going to be as high and the intensity they trained at was immense. And it really did lay a, a fantastic foundation for me as a young pro um, to go, actually, if I want to go and play international cricket, you know, I really need to work at this level. And it was uh, an incredible experience. And then international, full international recognition came in 2001 um, in Zimbabwe, Harare, um, in an ODI. Um, prior to that, though, there was a lot said about your action. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, am I correct in saying that you had to go in front of a panel? Um, like a legitimate yeah, so action? Can you talk a little, about, a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so n not a lot had happened up until the series and then 2001 um i, I gather a, a really um colonel nasher ali i think his name was was quite an overzealous match referee and uh for some reason he'd heard some sort of mutterings about my action and i think it was too good an opportunity for him um not to to bring it up um obviously had no there'd been no reports no anything about my action previous to this. Um, so, you know, that wonderful sort of moment of making your international debut completely dampened down by um, the sudden you've been, um, you, your action's been questioned. So, you know, huge sort of spectrums of emotions um, and, and a tough one to take. But um, I was lucky out there and that, Yes, you know, England were hugely supportive. Uh, but equally, uh, I had a really good friend, Johnny Saunders, who used to do all the uh, sports um, with Chris Evans. And he'd been on the TMS, and it was his first tour with um, BBC, with the BBC. So I had one of my best mates out there, um, Andy Flower, who very kindly, a few days later, just was able to take me out of, uh, out of Harare at the time and take me out of the spotlight um, and just we just went and had a I think we had a pizza or something and just had a chill um, but it was it, it was a secondary support network um, there that really helped um, but England were fantastic in the support they gave me um, and you know we got through it the first uh, the first time round and um did that knock a bit of confidence out of you, though, as a bowler moving forward during your career? Yeah, of course it did, because they, suddenly, you know, you weren't... It's very sticky mud um, throwing. It, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, one, it's not one of the best... To, uh, you know, it's one of the bigger taboo subjects. Um, and it's sticky mud, and it, it hang around for my career pretty, pretty much for all of it. So, you know, all the time I wasn't just competing against the opposition. I was competing against people's thoughts and views and observations, opinions about my action. Um, and, you know, it, it had its high, you know, it's the focus on it had its highs and lows. You know, I was able to, I got cleared the first time round. Um, Did you have to go away and make adjustments? Yeah, I, it, no one in England really, and no one at the time had really gone through um, the process. So it was, I was very much a guinea pig. Um, I'm not even sure that the the real sort of modelling for it had ever um, 
no one had really gone through it in England. So there wasn't really a template as such. And I was almost a working template. Um, but you know, we, we made a few changes. I uh, reduced my load from being quite a long way back um, to a bit more in, in front of my body, which benefited anyway. Um, and say for the next few years, um, things went really well. Um, consistency improved um, and got my opportunities in, in more one-day cricket. And then things were going well for Sussex. We were starting to win, starting to win trophies. Um, and it sort of coincided with a, a test debut as well. Yeah, so let's stick with the ODI of the year after against, I know you were in the, in, against the India series and that West series. That's right. Yep. Remembered for a stunning catch of um, Saurabh Ganguly, I believe. That's right, yeah. Yep. No, you've done your research. Yeah, if anyone hasn't watched it, look it up on yeah. YouTube. It's definitely one, definitely one to remember. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it was a great moment. And you, 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 they were a great side and we, we were great batters. And I say, Ashley Giles was bowling for the nursery end and Surat Ganguly gave it a nudge and I thought it was one of those that I thought, oh God, I, I think I could cut off the boundary and realised he'd hit it harder than I thought and and then just literally at the end just threw a hand at it. Uh, thankfully it stuck and, you know, it's great that I think Tom, the photographer for, with ECB at the time, um, managed to capture it. So, yeah, it's not in this room, but I've got wallpaper. No, I haven't. But it, it is, <laughs> um, you know, it is, a, it is a treasured moment. You know, I thought it might change the game. Unfortunately, it didn't. But um, it was still um, a memorable moment. And then you said 2003 test debut. Um, a proud moment for yourself? Yeah. Africa, I mean, at Trembridge? Yeah, it was. And I, I, the thing is, I'd been involved in all summer. So the, the Zimbabweans were over for the first two test matches. Jimmy Anderson played, um, made his debut. Um, and so I was, I think they'd introduced a new sort of 12th man um, sub as well. So Sussex were subbing. Uh, sometimes it was Billy Taylor, sometimes it was Kevin Innes. So we had moments where I'd be at the test match, not selected, come back and then take the place of uh, a player. And I think we, it was um, at Horsham, actually. I think Kevin Innes struck 100 um, the first day or up until lunchtime. I got back on the lunchtime the second day and then able, was able to come in and bowl. So we benefited enormously from it. And I think got a few wickets that afternoon. So I was never likely to get 100, but it sort of coupled with um, Kevin Innes. It looked like a great all-round effort, actually. And then um, in your debut, Sixfa. Um, yeah. You know, again, stuff what dreams are made of, isn't it? It is. And people have been uh, brought in, like I say, Jimmy Anderson had played, Anthony McGrath had played. Uh, I think Richard Johnson had played um, previously um, in that series. It was quite a lot. I think Kabir Ali played in that series, debuted. Martin Bicknell had come back. Um, so, yeah, amazing to do it. Trent Bridge always had... Um, fond memories of Trent Bridge always bowled well there so you know it was a, a great place to make a debut with um, Ed Smith as well uh, he made his debut that game and yeah it it hits you so fast the action everything is is faster the tempo of the game is slower but all the action is is that much quicker um, and Graham Smith had been scoring runs and I think 
Freddie had knocked, knocked him over in the first innings. I think he trod on his stumps. Um, so, yeah, I think he'd scored a load of runs. And then the pitch had deteriorated. Um, the lads had batted really well to get us a total. Um, and I think Pollock, Sean Pollock had got some wickets second innings as well. Um, but then the pitch started to keep a little bit low, which was perfect for me, where I could just skid and look to hit the stumps. And yeah, six wickets um, up on the board at Trent Bridge and, you know, a, a fantastic day. And then did it disappoint you then that winter where initially you didn't get picked uh, for the Bangladesh and Sri Lankan tour? I know you came in um, due to injury to Jimmy Anderson, I believe. But did that initial... He left out the squad, disappointed you given the debut that you had? Yeah, so, you know, played there, did all right at Headingley, um, then got injured, which, you know, I bowled, I think, close to 100 overs in, in two test matches. Um, plus, I bowled a hell of a lot in that summer for, for Sussex, who we won the championship this year. So lots of things are happening, you know, test debuts, winning the championship, you know, incredible. But I wasn't able to play in the last couple of games uh, due to injury. And I think it just felt that I wasn't quite 100% fit um, when it came to selection, um, which was a huge, um, huge disappointment. Um, and yet, you know, I managed to force my way back. Didn't play in Bangladesh, um, but did manage to force my way back. Uh, was playing squash with Jimmy Anderson in the hotel um he twisted his ankle so I, I was able to to stay on a bit but actually it was it was Matthew Hoggard's um spot um or he he and Richard Johnson played the first test I think I'm not very good at all this you're probably better at researching it than I am but um then I came in for the last two tests but um yeah it was it happens and Again, all these experiences um, allow you to form really good uh, ideas and thoughts about my own coaching as well. And we don't coach young players to deal with injury or lack of form or deselection. You know, we're, we're very good at, you know, providing the support and allowing them technically and everything else to go well. But really it can it can really knock young players and working with Richard Housel at Sussex now as the easy Academy director. Um, he and I, and you know, we can start helping to develop these young players, not just as, as cricketers, but as people to be able to, to deal with uh, experiences such as that, which they will undoubtedly uh, experience. Uh, but, you know, we can provide some real life um, experience ourselves. So obviously, um, Sri Lanka's um, a difficult place to actually bowl for any fast bowler. Um, did it then disappoint you that um, that was kind of your last test outing uh, for England? It was a little bit. I mean, I felt that, you know, to be judged after four test matches, after taking, I think, something like 19 wickets, um, I felt I had more to offer. Uh, but I knew um, there'd be more and more rumblings about my action. And I don't think it was the distraction that the England team wanted. Um, but it, it hadn't really come to any sort of 
head as it were so <sighs> frustration yes to be judged after four test matches might be premature but you know if I'm in a Harmison I think hadn't had come back from the Bangladesh series um, Simon Jones was coming back obviously Matthew Hoggard found form uh, in the West Indies and bowled brilliantly from then on in and, and then so really you know very rapidly I sort of went down the pecking order which you accept um, but like you know I, I played four test matches you know and, and did relatively well yeah, so looking at your really stats, yeah, looking at your stats, 19 wickets at 29, uh, yeah. only four test matches, but um, you know that's more than most, and that's that's exceptional, isn't it? Um, it it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a lovely record to have, and as I say, you know that that Simon Jones and Matthew Hoggard, we sort of, I was probably and Goffey had just retired as well that in 2003 so I'd always been sort of um, that sort of reserve type bowler because I sort of covered the sort of skiddiness not the, not all the skill of Goffey but I sort of was a I could be a like for like replacement in terms of what I could offer not obviously his his record um, and the same with sort of Hoggy and Simon Jones albeit that Jones had you know more pace but that sort of reverse swing ability as well so um I look it, it got proven didn't it that they were able to get that bowling attack together in 2005 and beat the Australians and you know that it just shows the, the quality of, of those bowlers um at a time when I thought actually I was coming I was probably a better bowler um around that time than I probably was two or three years before it yeah then you were the last ODI came um, in the West Indies series in 2004. Um, yeah. I know you had uh, the the, t, uh, the the 2020 um, call up down the line, but in, over, yeah. yeah. In terms of that um, that period, 2003-2004, um, how would you summarise your time in international cricket? Did you felt you belonged? Um, how did you find the whole environment? Maybe you can give a little. What was going through your mind during that period? I'd been in and around the environment for quite a long time. So I'd, I think I'd been to in squads, certainly for one day cricket. So um, I'd been in squads for the best part of two years, although not played. I think I probably, I think I almost was in a, the squad for about 50 one day internationals. So although I only played 11, I think. 11, yeah. Uh, I think I'd be, I was around for about 50 one-day games. So I'd been around the environment. Um, I say I'd spent most of the summer of 2003 with the test squad and most of the two, um, that winter as well. So um, we had the previously in Australia, 2002 going into 2003, the one-day team had sort of, chopped and changed with the test side because they played the two test matches at Christmas and then the one day as took over again so I'd been in and around the environment for, for some time so felt um, comfortable um, really enjoyed it you know NASA was initial captain then Michael Vaughan towards the end um, 
and I did. I, it was it was a great environment to be in. You know, I felt I was relatively a low maintenance player, um, which I think helped. Um, do you think was, that you, do you did you see yourself more as a test uh, or a longer form of a red ball player or a white ball player? You said you were involved in fifty squads, played eleven ODIs. I know stats are stats, and they don't always say the true story. But looking at your one international career, nine wickets at 53 um, in comparison mm. to what we said before in your test career. Um, but obviously, they don't always say the true story. But how, how do you view things in terms of your career, where your strengths truly lie? I think I started, you know, initially I thought I felt my strengths were, um, was to boot, move the ball laterally. So, you know, the red ball, you know, I was able to swing the red ball you know, in an orthodox way, and then towards the latter part of my career, you know, with Mushy coming to to Sussex um, and understanding the the skills of reverse swing, so moving the ball uh, laterally was basically my skill um, there. But in one day cricket, was the ability to adapt and to close out the innings and bowl bowl at the death. So, <sighs> red ball or white ball. I think it. I think it changed. I think you get a lot more. There's a lot more spotlight and a lot more television domestically around white ball cricket. Uh, and I think domestically, I I, I love playing white ball cricket. Um, but yeah, test matches were those are. I think even now, people I talk to to friends uh, and they they. They say, well, you know, you've got all these franchises, all this attraction, all the money and everything else like that. And they don't get the idea that players want to play test cricket. And I think playing test cricket is the pinnacle. Um, I still think it, you know, I, you know, working with the likes of Joffre and Chris Jordan, you know, they still talk about um, test cricket. Um, and yet they could, you know, they walk into any of these franchises, these leagues around the world, but it's test cricket where... They feel they they've been properly judged. So, yeah, I think you know, red or white, I don't know, but you know, it was just more to be able to have the skill to think on your feet um, and try and deliver what you could at the time. And then two thousand and five again, um, questions about your action, um, yeah. but then you, that didn't stop you performing for Sussex in two thousand and six, the CNG final. Um, a word about that? Um, you've got five. Yeah, so, yeah, so 2005 um, got um, reported for action, and on this occasion, they had a much more um, rigid uh, way of measuring everything. Um, and I was, I was found to be over the legal limit of 15 degrees. Um, so we spent the winter remodeling. Um, and actually, who were you working with? Was it the bowling England bowling coach, or was it Sussex? No, because it was all at Sussex, and um, Pete Moores initially started it, and then Mark Robinson um, took it on from there. And it was a really difficult time for me. Um, but what I did discover is that it, all it had to do was to move the angle of my arm almost by a, a fist width from just a little bit lower uh, but it took us two or three months to get to that point 
but it was almost impossible to measure over the winter to whether I'd, we couldn't with the naked eye tell if I could bowl a ball between 11 degrees, uh, 11 degrees or 19 degrees. So it's, that was the four degrees either side of what you're allowed. Um, but we couldn't visually, even with slow-mo cameras, we couldn't tell the difference. So we were shooting in the dark a lot of the time, but got cleared. Um, took me a bit of time to get, because um, I got cleared quite late in the proceedings in March. Um, so I was competing with that. But then, yeah, uh, white ball cricket um, went well with Sussex. We were going really well in the championship. I started to find some form in the white ball game, which then I was able to take into first class cricket. <clears throat> and then, yeah, culminated in a, an incredible day at Lords, um, which didn't start so well as I got hooked for six by Mal Loy or got swept for six. Um, but then, as I say, we managed to defend a total and uh, probably the most pleasing day um, of my career. And then, um... 2007, you get called up for England again. Did mm. some in their T20 squads um, in South Africa. You have only the one over. What was the kind of communications you had with the ECB and the selectors um, during this period? I think no one really knew. You know, England had been playing. T20 cricket since 2003 and I think actually I might have bowled the first ball that was ever televised um, I think it was a wide actually at Southampton but um, I don't think anyone really knew how to take it um, the Indians rested a lot of their um, top batters for that World Cup we as England went in with quite a lot of specialists so I think Jeremy Snape was there, Chris Schofield um, Vikram Solanke, oh, he was might have already been playing. Um, I'm trying to think who else had sort of been brought in. Darren Maddy, yeah, done brilliantly. So you you sort of they thought they'd bring in some specialists, um, but the one day team, the England one day team, had actually done incredibly well that summer. So it was it was quite a um, probably an unsettling period for everybody. Um, I think. There'd been two or three captains. I think Vaughan had done a bit. Strauss had done a bit. Collingwood then took over. He was captain in South Africa. So you had two or three captains. So I think the whole thing was perhaps a little unsettled. Um, but, you know, I got my chance. Didn't take it. Bowled a poor over against Hayden and Gilchrist at Cape Town. Um, my role at the time was to, to close things, again, to bowl at death. But... You know, Hayden and Gilchrist were going pretty strong. I ended up having to bowl the fifth over. Um, and yeah, uh, went for whatever it was, 16, 17 runs or something terrible. Um, and yeah, wasn't to feature again. And then um, you saw the remainder of your career at Sussex. Um, did the hunger remain? Did you have ambitions to ever try and get back into the England setup? Or did you know 2007 that was it? I knew pretty much that was it. Um, I thought, you know, that one, I, Red Bull, I was coming out of the Red Bull side at Sussex and was mainly from the last two, three years of my 
time at Sussex. I was on a one day uh, contract really only. Um, but no, I, I had, we had some unfinished business. I wanted to, um, I wanted to win every domestic trophy at Sussex. Um, I think as a team, we'd, we'd won the, the 50 over knockout or 50 over CNG. We'd won the championship uh, twice in two um, and then the third time in 2007. Then we won the 40 over league 2008. Um, we won those back to back. And then in 2009 it was the T20. And we won it then and that was really that was the hunger i mean we had a side that it was such fun to play at sussex you know we knew each other really well um as a team how we operated uh the trust that we had which allowed sometimes the vulnerability but so much enjoyment really did allow us to to perform as a group and that started from a long time so to see it through to win um with Sussex all the domestic trophies in in the time I was there but it wasn't just my time it was so many more people you know Robin Martin Jenkins shared the similar time Jason Lurie Chris Adams Matt Pryor Michael Yardy you know Mark Davis Mark Robinson you know there was so many Richard House had been in involved at coaching there you know there'd be so many names that I've left off um out of that group you know, you see them all now, Richard Montgomery's at Eton, Ron Martin Jenkins at Harrow, you know, they're all going on coaching and um, contributing. Murray Goodwin out in Australia, Mushy's still doing all his coaching bits around the world. It, you know, it was a, an incredible um, unit um, and such a, a group of players that probably stayed together. So I think Mushy left, what, 2007 or eight. Um, you know, to have that period of time to keep everyone together for five years and to be able to keep that momentum more so in white ball cricket, um, to win those 40 over leagues and to win the T20 was, was so important um, that we weren't just um, considered a, a one-off. You know, it wasn't just one championship in 2003. It was probably, you know, I think there was... Uh, seven or eight seven trophies in that period of time which you know was was staggering and you know such a fun and enjoyable period to play and then when, re when retirement actually came um mentally were you ready for that just so you obviously played cricket for x amount of years did you have a plan in place what was to come next yeah i, I did i had um i had a clothing company uh mkk um, How old were you when you actually retired from the game? 35. 35. 35. So I said to Mark Robinson, so we'd, we'd won the T20 in 2009. We went over to do, play in the Champions League which um, in India, which was a great experience, but we didn't really do ourselves any justice. Um, but I said to Robbo in that November, I said, look, this is going to be my last year going into 2010. And I, you know, I had a, I had great fun playing one day cricket, um, had some great performances. I'd set up MKK in the background. Um, and so that was ready to, to walk into um, after, after cricket finished that year in the end of 2010. And then um, thereafter, you've gone into coaching. I know you mentioned Sussex. Um, Talk us through that kind of journey going from your business ventures and back into the game. 
so I'd, I'd, I'd always been around cricket. So, you know, MKK, had, um, mainly it was a bespoke cricket clothing. We, in the end, was supplying, I think, six out of the 18 counties. So we, were, we had a really good product, but unfortunately I wasn't able to take it to the next level and it um, had to go through a bit of a, an acquisition at the end. Um, but it it allowed me an, an incredible experience. So 2015 came out of that and um, I'd always been doing bits and pieces of coaching, working in the pathway at Sussex uh, with the junior bowlers, but was doing more and more um, with the young bowlers. And Mark Robinson had just become England women's head coach. Um, and he said, look, do you want to come up for a couple of days? Did that. So spent a year and a half working with England women. Um, I was looking after the pace bowling. Ian Salisbury was looking after the spinners. So Sals and I had got back together in, um, in a coaching, having played earlier, but always had, you know, a huge mutual respect for each other. Um, started uh, in that environment. And then was that during the women's world cup when they won it? What, what year was yeah, it? So we did it. That was proceeding. So I did the up and up to the summer of uh, the world cup. So we, yeah. Um, so that was great fun. And then Sauls was doing more with the physically disabled. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to help out doing that. So did a bit of that as well. Well, still doing bits at Sussex. Um, and then say last, summer Sussex had got me involved sorry for the last John Lewis was the bowling coach at the time then he went off to do Young Lions and Sussex got me involved as a consultant initially but now full-time as a lead pace bowling coach so loads of different experiences working at a school at Bede School here in Sussex who delivered you know a lot of young players into the Sussex system you know, you coach under 10s, under 11s, under 12s, you're working with the boys, you're working with the girls, working with physically disabled, working, you know, in all these different environments has really given me quite a, um, lots of opportunity to, to learn the way I coach. You can make mistakes uh, with younger players, which aren't going to be career defining. I think sometimes as pros, we go as a pro cricketer straight into pro coaching. And I, I don't think you're always allowed to, to make the same mistakes. Um, so I've, I've benefited enormously from being able to make mistakes. Just as players need to make mistakes to learn as well, coaches have to do it. So I'm really, oh, I say this was my first summer really as in, in a full-time role. Um, but literally, I'm just waiting at the starting line, ready for someone to give me the green light to, to get going. So all the work in the winter. Um, but yeah, just waiting for everything to kick off for 2020. And then uh, let's talk about Sussex. Um, you're Sussex man through and through. What makes it a great club? It's the family feel that I think is all, it's always had. Um, I think... You you can't help but buy into it, and certainly the period of time as a player, <clears throat> and watching that transition and being part of the journey um, was incredibly important. I think the culture 
that was developed um, in the early 2000s was incredible um, and one that you see teams when they function well and you read you know everyone whether it's Clive Woodward or Eddie Jones or um, just think of the couple of books I've been reading recently that you you see that there are common trends with teams that are performing um, but how they go about things off the pitch uh, and I think Sussex has a, a huge tradition anyway being one of the um, being the oldest county but has in the past always over delivered and I think this current group of players could could deliver again I think they're highly skilled um, and just trying to find um, a couple of tweaks um, within the side uh, this this team will achieve and it will win trophies without a shadow of a doubt um, and it's uh, I say we're just on the cusp of that just understanding how we all work um, as a team as a squad and I think that's what draws you back in as a player because you can see that potential with the players and the incredible calibre, particularly with the bowlers. Um, that you know that's why it's it's so attractive and so exciting for me. And then a word on one particular Sussex bowler. He might not be around too much because he might be with England. But Jofra Archer, um, what makes him? What kind of calibers does he have that makes him such a, you know, a great fast bowler? Uh, look, I think everyone has seen what he can do. I think for me, it's him as a person. Uh, his humility, how humble he is, is the first thing that has always um, struck me. Uh, um, whether I message him or whatever it is, um, he always gets back. You know, he's always got time for people. He's he's very grateful for. Um, I'm not sure how much I've actually helped him, but um, you support in different in different ways and um, trying to understand how he wants to go about things, how he ticks um, is key for me. John Lewis has been instrumental, um, and I think I've been very lucky in that respect to sort of uh, follow John. Um, in at Sussex, he laid some really good foundations. Um, but yeah, I think the great thing for me is that Joff observes the game. You know, he watches the game, he's quick to learn, um, and his appetite to be the best bowler in the world is the bit that will, um, will allow him to be successful and do it in, in the right way. Um, he's gonna make mistakes, he's a young man, just as we all are. Um, well, I'm probably not a young man, but we will all make mistakes. But it, it is, um, I say, that that desire to be as good as he can be will be what will hold him in such good stead. And his grounding, um, his relationship with Chris Jordan, you know, CJ's a, a massive figure in his life, um, in, in the support, almost in a brotherly way. Um, but again, CJ for me, you know, huge values as a person. Um, and that's, they'll always have a chance. And yes, highly skilled cricketers as well, but because they have those great values as individuals, um, they'll always, I think, be successful wherever they go. And then how do you view um, fast bowling around the world? Um, talent coming through? Yeah, look, it, it, 
I think people are understanding that careers are shorter. So I think people can bowl quicker for a shorter period of time, but they will they will get the rewards. I mean, pace is hugely exciting. Pace, it makes batters play differently. Um, there are, you know, you, as soon as you see Mark Wood or Joffre go into that, that next gear, you see how the game changes. Um, pace, exciting. But for me, the craft of any bowler, and that's why Jimmy Anderson is where he is. You know, the craft and the skill and the subtlety and the feel and the touch of bowling that, yes, we'd love to see um, some great fast bowlers, but I think more often than not, they're born um, in terms of pace. But that skill and craft can be learned. And you know, that's the bit that when I've been fortunate enough to be in and around the England side to, to hear them talk about the feel, the touch, what we're doing with the scene and all these things, talking to Chris Silverwood, talking to Kevin Shine, talking to John Lewis, um, that you you look at the subtlety and craft of bowling um, as much as you look at the pace. But, you know, all the time, you know, for me at Sussex, we want them to be repeatable and robust um, and great if they can bowl quick, but if they've got skill and they can think on their feet, you know, we're really happy. Perfect. James, um, thank you very much for your time today. Um, hopefully we do get some cricket this year. And, um, yeah, all the best with the coaching. Thank you very much, Neil. And fingers crossed, as you say, for, for this season. Brilliant. Neil Cagram, Cricket Last Joys, James Curley. Thank you.